0: Chapter Fourteen A Fuel of Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fuel of Fire by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter Fourteen The Finding of the Keys. Sometimes the finding of a thing more sorrow than the loss doth bring nancy's first impulse on meeting her lover in the lane was to rush into his arms and tell him straight out how her heart was overflowing with love and pity for him and ask him why he had not come to her for comfort but the sight of his face as he drew near nipped this inclination in the bud there was something about lawrence baxendale something intangible and indescribable yet nevertheless to be felt by all who were brought into contact with him which impressed other people in spite of themselves and forbade them to take a shadow of a liberty with him or even to treat him with a hale fellow well met of common familiarity it may have been the innate distinction born of a long line of noble ancestry it may have been the still higher dignity conferred by an honourable and single-minded character But whatever it was, nobody who came within the sphere of Lawrence's influence could be unconscious of its presence, or could fail to perceive that in some subtle and indefinable way this man was made of finer material than his fellows. It did not make men love him any the better for it. Rather, perhaps it made the ordinary run of them love him somewhat the less. But it made them one in all respect, even if they feared him and it caused all sordid thoughts and mean aspirations to shrivel up in his presence as flowers in a frost nancy had always been conscious of this characteristic in her lover and now and then it had frightened her frightened her with the thought that some day she should do something not in accordance with the strict and honourable code of lawrence baxendale and that then there would be found for her in his merciless judgment no place of repentance even though she sought it prayerfully and with tears she felt that laurence's own truthfulness and consistency would only serve to make him all the harder in his condemnation of those who were neither true nor consistent and that he would say with the apostle that those who offended in one matter offended in all she had often said to herself that if ever she did what he considered wrong she should never have the courage to confess the fault to him and beg for his forgiveness no she should have to deceive him as to her deficiencies as long as she could and when deceit was no longer possible she should have to go out of his life altogether for the well-bred disdain which he meted out to all whom he considered unworthy of his respect was more nancy felt than she could bear she was by nature a woman of quick perceptions and there is no such sharpener of natural perceptions as love therefore her first sight of lawrence's face told her that he was in one of the moods when he was most terrible to and unattainable by his inferior fellow-creatures she had meant to tell him about the loss of the keys but the way in which he greeted her showed her that this was not the occasion for enlightening her lover as to any of her shortcomings so she decided on this matter to hold her peace until a more opportune moment presented itself. But although Nancy was a woman of quick, she was not a woman of deep penetration, she saw that on the surface Lawrence was severe in his strictures and stern in his judgments, and there she stopped. She did not go below the outer crust of the man and fathom the depths of tenderness hidden beneath the apparent coldness and hauteur of his demeanour at present she had nothing to draw with and the well was deep in time it might be that her own love for him would teach her fully to comprehend his love for her but love is a slow though a competent schoolmaster and his plan of education is by no means a rapid one the cramming system is not his and wherefore need the he hurry seeing that he is indeed immortal and that his pupils will be through all eternity his pupils still but in the learning process men and women make sad and many mistakes and nancy was making one now in allowing baxendale's chilly greeting of her a chilliness arising solely from shyness which found it difficult for him to express deep feeling and the sensitiveness which feared that any such expression should be misunderstood to blind her eyes to the real anguish of the man's soul and to deafen her ears to his silent cry for her help and sympathy in his hour of need so it came to pass that poor foolish nancy met lawrence with a half jesting manner which put him further from her than the coldest stiffness would have done and added greatly to the weight of that burden which he already felt was almost greater than he could bear oh it's you is it she remarked airily as if his appearance which she had vainly looked for at the crossways was a complete surprise where are you going to my pretty sir i'm going home replied laurence the misery in his eyes almost broke through nancy's flippancy but not quite i haven't seen you for ages and ages four hundred years at least if not five it is so long since you have been to wayside that i concluded you'd forgotten where the place was situated and I meant to send you a map with the spot marked specially on it in red ink, as if it were a station for a projected railway. If Lawrence could be indifferent, so could she, Nancy remarked to herself, as if indifference and the look in Lawrence's eyes were on speaking terms with each other. But there is no one so blind as the woman who has made up her mind beforehand to see something else. I've been very busy for one thing and for another i didn't feel much in the humour for paying calls it was an inadequate speech and lawrence knew and regretted it but for the life of him he could not think of any less lame excuse nancy tossed her head oh you needn't apologise to me for not coming if you didn't want to come there's nothing bores me so much as apologies if people want to come and see you they'll come and see you and if they don't want what's the use of telling fibs about it it isn't one of the seven deadly sins you know not to yearn to call upon the burtons every other afternoon it's merely a matter of taste lawrence felt himself visibly freezing under this treatment of nancy's there is no barrier which so completely estranges man from man and still more man from woman as flippancy whether real or assumed it is a little matter which indeed separates very friends and lovers even more effectually therefore he did not reply but looked at nancy in dumb misery i never quarrel with people for not coming to see me any more than i quarrel with them for not writing to me she went on in her most nonchalant style because a quarrel is no fun when there is some ground for it it is when there is absolutely no excuse for it that a quarrel is pure joy just as there is no pleasure in saying nasty things that you really mean The pleasure is in saying nasty things that you don't mean. I make a point of never saying sharp speeches to people who deserve them, because I find if I do the culprits are so pained by the accurate fit of the cap that they never rest till it is publicly removed. Don't you think that is so? I don't know. Nancy stamped her foot. I wish you wouldn't always say I don't know when I ask you things. It is a habit of yours which aggravates me almost to distraction what do i care what you know as long as there is something you can find to say i'm not a cambridge local examiner or a bishop preparing you for ordination that you need be so careful to treat me to nothing but accurate knowledge again lawrence was silent was this heartless coquette the woman he had clasped in his arms just one week a long eternity of one week ago and if so which was the real nancy he wondered was this flippancy merely a cloak to hide her warmer and deeper feelings, or had she been playing with him all along? Perhaps he ought to have known her better than to suspect her of this latter insincerity, but when a man's heart is bleeding from the effects of fortune's buffets, and his neighbour's sneers, he is not always capable of judging righteous judgment. You are very dull this afternoon, the girl continued, in defiance of the tugs at her heart strings which every sound of Lawrence's voice produced the woman who can hear the sound of pain in her lover's voice unmoved has yet to be born. but the women who can hear that sound without showing that they are moved are by name legion and dullness is the one thing which my soul abhors she added it is bad enough to say i don't know but it is ten times worse to say nothing at all and you've been guilty of both enormities during the last five minutes think of committing two unpardonable sins in less than five minutes I'm downright ashamed of you, Mr. Baxendale. Here's a nice rule of three, sum for you to work out. If a man commits two unpardonable sins in five minutes, how many unpardonable sins will he commit in seventy years? Lawrence raised his hat. His spirit was so sorely wounded that Nancy's cruelly careless touch upon the raw was more than he could bear just now. I cannot help being dull, Nancy, but I can help inflicting that dullness upon other people so i will wish you good afternoon and before the girl could reply he had passed on nancy was very angry and she was all the more angry with lawrence because she knew that she herself was to blame so she walked on with her chin in the air repeating to herself the uncomfortable formula that if he was too proud to ask for her sympathy she was too proud to offer it and as she so walked whom should she meet but lady alicia returning from her daily constitutional Oh, my dear Miss Burton, exclaimed her ladyship as soon as she was within earshot, how glad I am to meet you! I've not seen you since our terrible catastrophe, and it is so necessary to have someone with whom one can talk one's troubles over—some other woman, I mean. There's no comfort in talking over one's sorrows with a man. No, there isn't, is there? Men either say that a trouble is no trouble at all, or else that it is incurable, just as if they see no medium between being able to walk twenty miles a day without turning a hair and being tied down to one's own back by a spine specialist. Exactly, my dear child, what a sweet and charming way you have of putting things. It is when I am in trouble that I so sorely regret I never had a daughter, because if only I had had a daughter, I could have talked over all my troubles with her, and shown her how I have always been a martyr to other people's interests and she would have sympathized with me and blamed those who had brought so much sorrow and inconvenience upon me i think it takes half the sting out of a trouble when you can lay the blame of it upon someone else don't you perhaps so and it certainly adds to the sting of it when one realizes that it is all one's own fault oh i dare say it does but as none of my troubles were my own fault i've been spared that pang and that has always been so nice for me lawrence never seemed to understand how his poor dear father spoiled my life and so he never blamed his father and sympathized with me as a dear sweet daughter would have done dear girl how i should have loved her and i am sure she would have been good-looking because all my family are no mote could have borne the disgrace of having a plain daughter because we had done nothing to deserve it and it is so hard to bear troubles that you feel you do not deserve isn't it miss burton horrid agreed nancy and even worse if you feel as you do if a nasty thing happens to you which you don't deserve you have an idea that some day it will be made up to you like job don't you know but if you deserve it you feel you are only paying your own bills and that is a most wearisome occupation yes dear child and now i want to talk to you about this sad shocking dreadful fire were you ever so surprised in your life as when you found dear baxendale burned down and so quickly too it was an awful thing to happen said nancy sympathetically but i don't think one can be altogether surprised when one recollects how inflammable all those old books and pictures and parchments must have been and how violent the wind was that night yes yes of course so very violent as you say and there is nothing that spreads a fire so quickly as wind just see what a pair of blow bellows will do when you think the drawing-room fire has actually gone out And that you will have to ring for a servant to relight and it always annoys servants so to have to relight a fire in the middle of the day though i'm sure i don't know why it should but as you say dear child the fire at baxendale though very sad and shocking was what we might have expected lady alicia appeared to be much pleased by this opinion of nancy's and i really cannot see why people should be in such a state of curiosity as to how it began continued nancy the merest accident which in a newer house on a less windy day have had no effect at all and never would have been heard of or even known about would be quite enough in the circumstances to account for the whole thing of course it would my dear miss burton or may i call you nancy it is so nice and friendly to call people you really like by their christian names don't you think how very wise and sensible you are so much common sense is quite remarkable in such a young girl perhaps the fact that your father is such a clever business man has something to do with it as you say the fire at baxendale was not at all to be wondered at considering all the circumstances of the case it was in fact quite the natural consequence so do i think yes my dear and you are quite right and would you not mind mentioning this view of yours to dear lawrence just in casual conversation you know for i think so much real good is often done by casual conversation as it may not have struck him quite in the same light common sense is not his fort you see my dear any more than it was the fort of his dear father but just a word from you to him upon the subject might do him a world of good it is always more or less of a tragedy when the time comes for a mother to influence her own son through the medium of another woman's newer and stronger power and especially when she does so openly it is a public acknowledgment of the queen-regent that the term of office is over and that the queen-regent has entered into her kingdom Nancy understood the situation and recognized the pathos of it. She was clear-sighted enough, when not blinded by her own passions. I'll say it to him if you wish, Lady Alicia, she replied very gently, and if he gives me the opportunity, but it is not always easy to speak to him about things that he doesn't want you to speak to him about, you know. Lawrence's mother sighed, ah, yes, dear, Miss Burton, Nancy, I should say, how wise and far-seeing you are, and what quick perceptions you have, I always think it is so nice for a young girl to have quick perceptions it keeps her from making such a lot of social mistakes even if she marries above her but in a matter like this i think one should make a little effort don't you know because it would be such a pity such a sad sad pity if dear lawrence through any morbid sensitiveness as to how the fire arose were to have any scruples about accepting the insurance money the two women looked each other full in the face and the same fear was in the eyes of both namely that the longed-for conflagration had been all in vain it would be a great mistake too said nancy slowly because it would suggest to outsiders that there was something queer about the fire after all which of course there wasn't it was the most natural thing in the world yes yes most natural as anybody who gave five minutes consideration to the matter could see for themselves but lawrence is like his poor dear father and is always longing for an occasion to sacrifice himself and all his family for the sake of some sentimental scruple it is very noble and good of him exclaimed nancy loyally but i don't know that it is always wise i'm not so sure about its being either noble or good of course it is very beautiful and touching for men who are monks and hermits and anchorites and sweet weird things like that to sacrifice themselves for sentimental scruples because they have only themselves to consider and it will be so nice for them to have such a high place in heaven when they get there but i think that men with mothers and wives and people of that kind ought not to consider only themselves and their heavenly crowns they ought to have a little consideration for the women belonging to them you see poverty is much more inconvenient and sad for us than it is for men because if the worst comes to the worst they can wear one dress suit for two or three years and can take all their meals at the club for all her silliness lady alicia knew what strings to pull when she gave her mind to the pulling of strings nancy's mouth grew very firm not to say hard a woman is capable of being jealous of anything which a man puts before his love for her even if it be an abstract principle i don't think either that a man is justified in purchasing a heavenly crown and then sending the bill in to the women who have given up their lives to him she said and yet that is what the masculine saints of the earth are very fond of doing. Doubtless they reap their reward, but it comes expensive on the women. Indeed it does, my dear child, not that I don't agree with Lawrence, that it is all very nice and sweet to be good and upright if one can, without interfering with other people too much. But like everything else, it can be carried too far. It is admirable for people to be good at their own expense, agreed Nancy, but it is sometimes a little trying when they are good at, at yours and especially when, although you have shared the cost with them, they never have the slightest intention of letting you share the crown. Lady Alicia sighed again, and it does seem to me such a pity, quite wrong in fact, not to get all the good one can out of one's misfortunes. I remember dear Shakespeare once said something about adversity being like a frog, because there's always some good to be got out of everything if only one will look for it and I do agree with him. If this sad affair of the fire can be turned into a blessing by everybody being made so much more happy and comfortable because of the insurance money, I do think it would be really wicked of Lawrence not to avail himself of the silver lining which is hidden in the frog's head, don't you? Not wicked, Lady Alicia, certainly not wicked. Mr. Baxendale couldn't do anything that was wicked, I'm sure, but I think it would be very foolish and very misguided." so do i dear child and after all we are sent into this world to turn our sorrows to good account aren't we so that it is flying in the face of providence not to let everything work for our good as far as we can i mustn't keep you any longer now but i know you will say something nice and convincing to lawrence on the subject just in casual conversation won't you and with that her ladyship pressed nancy burton's hand and went on her way to poplar farm whilst nancy walked on toward the hall her mind aflame with the desire to punish lawrence for treating what she considered a ridiculous scruple as of more importance than her future happiness yet only yesterday she had been possessed by an equally intense longing to fall at his feet and tell him that she worshipped him for setting his conception of honour and duty before every other earthly consideration all the way across the park she looked in vain for her bunch of keys and as she had failed to find them there she peered about the ruins with a wild hope that she might come across them among the debris as she was continuing her search a voice suddenly said pardon me miss burton but are you looking for anything in the fall of this house which was great is there any treasure of yours lying buried and looking up nancy found herself face to face with rufus webb. oh it is you mr webb good afternoon yes i am looking for something namely a bunch of keys which i lost some days ago rufus put his hand in his pocket and drew out the missing bunch are these they yes these are mine cried Nancy, seizing them with a little shriek of thankfulness. Where did you find them? I picked them up just outside the front door here the afternoon, the day of the fire, exactly eight hours before the judgment of God fell upon Baxendale Hall. End of chapter fourteen